Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before the pandemic, a little-known biotech in Boston was trying to invent a new generation of medicines. So I've been getting to know Moderna ever since I took over this beat in 2019. I thought they were very interesting conceptually, they were interesting financially, but I'd never kind of found the way to write about them. They weren't front page news, right? Until this year. I was talking to the CEO back in January at the JP Morgan conference, which is the big healthcare and biotech and pharma conference of the year in, in San Francisco. And it was just as um, the coronavirus was kind of coming on the horizon. Think back to January. Coronavirus was quickly spreading in Wuhan, but those of us in Europe and in the U.S. were still, for the most part, going about our normal lives. And he invited me down. And what I didn't realize, you know, this was very early. It was before they'd even sequenced the genome of the virus, was that he was already at that point in discussions with the U.S. government about making a COVID vaccine. Moderna is performing the first human trial for coronavirus that is underway in Washington state. And I'm saying, I want to come down. I want to come down. I understand now that this is going to be a really huge news for your company and huge news for the world. This is Behind the Money. I'm Amy Keene. Moderna is one of two vaccine developers awaiting regulatory approval for a coronavirus shot developed in less than a year. This would be a record-breaking feat, and that's largely owed to money spent on manufacturing capacity and orders, rather than the result of any scientific breakthrough. So in this episode, we're looking at Moderna's unconventional rise and the billions of dollars in investment that could make it a household name. Moderna is this Boston-based biotech. Hannah Kuchler is the FT's U.S. pharma and biotech correspondent. She's been covering the pandemic and companies racing toward a vaccine for much of this year. It's a fascinating company because it's kind of breaking the mold on many fronts. It's 10 years old, doesn't make a profit, and has been trying to invent a new generation of medicine using something called messenger RNA. Basically, it's a sort of genetic code. And that means that if you can find a way of delivering it into the cells, you can kind of turn your body into this sort of factory for medicines. And so it's a huge breakthrough for this technology, which will then go on, hopefully, to make it a lot easier for us to make vaccines for other diseases. As with many scientific discoveries, Moderna's big breakthrough started with mice. There was Derek Rossi, who's a stem cell biologist in Boston, who co-founded the company. And he told me that he realized that this technology, mRNA, had a huge amount of promise when he used it to create glow-in-the-dark mice. You know, he'd seen it operate in the Petri dish. And then when he put it into animals, into mice, he injected their thighs with this genetic code that made this luminous protein. And so suddenly his mice glowed. They lit up in the dark. The more code he injected, the more they glowed. And it made him wonder whether it could be used to treat rare genetic diseases. So he got together with a couple of other top-notch scientists. An engineer and a doctor. And they created Moderna. 
there was a lot of scepticism in the scientific community when it started because there was huge concerns about what they call it unstable and it was expensive to produce. And so that's really been the challenge that Moderna has been working on all this time. Now, most biotechs will invest in one big medical idea at a time. They'll bring a blockbuster drug to market and, more often than not, be scooped up by some bigger pharmaceutical company. But that's not the route Moderna's taken. Moderna didn't just want to pursue this unusual novel technology. It wanted to pursue a kind of unusual uh, business model, too. It said, well, if mRNA is going to be so successful, why would we use it to make one drug and put all our you know, eggs in that basket? Um, why wouldn't we try and create what they call a platform? Um, and so that's what they've done. They've created um, a sort of a very smart, digitally enabled manufacturing system to program in the mRNA. It's called a platform because it can switch from designing and producing one vaccine to another, just like you would run different apps on an operating system. It was an interesting technology that required a ton of investment. And so they had to really fundraise a lot. So I recently spoke to their chief financial officer at the time, and he came from Goldman Sachs. And he had to, first of all, he raised the biggest private round for a biotech ever, and that was 2014. Um, and then he had to raise eventually an IPO in, in 2018, which was the biggest for a biotech ever, it, it valued the company at $7.5 billion. Moderna Therapeutics is a very large private biotech company, has just filed an S1 uh, to potentially raise about $500 million in an initial public offering. Now, this could be a record IPO for the biotech space. This Moderna was pretty committed to the idea, like they wanted to be a big standalone company of their own based on this technology. And so when he, um, the CFO then went to raise money on the roadshow, he didn't just go to, you know, biotech investors in New York or Boston. He went around the world, which is kind of unusual for that kind of company. And he said he held a couple of hundred meetings um, and he really sold this kind of expansive view of what a biotech could be. It was pretty meh, you know? It was all right. It, it kind of bumbled along for the first year. Um, and then it got into the beginning of this year when they started to say that they were going to work on um, a COVID-19 vaccine. And it has soared since. That brings us back to Hannah's trip to Boston at the end of February. I hopped on a train. In fact, in my last business trip before the pandemic really hit New York, where I live, um, I hopped on the train to Boston and went down to meet everyone and understand how they had managed to deliver this in such a short time. Typically, a vaccine developer would need to study a virus sample, in this case, SARS-CoV-2. But Moderna's platform meant that all they needed was the genetic code or sequence of the virus. So on one side of the world, you have these Chinese scientists in January getting the virus in Wuhan and creating the genetic code. Um, and then on the other side of the world in Boston, that sort of starts the clock ticking and Moderna can put the genetic code, can make it artificially. They put it in this sort of babble of fact called a lipid nanoparticle um, and create a vaccine. It took Moderna just 42 days to develop a vaccine for testing. I'm not one of the world's big boosters. I've known as a slightly negative downer reporter. So I will tell you, this is extraordinary. And that's because the previous quickest vaccine to market took four years. That was months. This is likely to be less than a year. 
Developing a vaccine is one thing, but bringing it to market and manufacturing it at scale is another. Normally, what a company would do is they would wait until they got approval before they invested in manufacturing. Obviously, that would take an awful long time, and time is something we don't really have in this pandemic. To produce this vaccine, Moderna had to have a lot of money, especially to produce it as fast as we did. It did have a fair bit of money from its IPO, but it needed more. And so I think a lot of the questions were, will it partner with a big pharma company? The other COVID vaccine seeking approval was done this way. It was a partnership between BioNTech and Pfizer. Moderna chose not to take that route. Instead, it's taken an awful lot of money from the U.S. government, almost $2.5 billion. Much of this money has come from a U.S. government program called Operation Warp Speed. Yeah, so I speak to public health experts, infectious disease specialists, virologists all the time, and they really don't have many good words to say about the U.S. government's response, except when it comes to Operation Warp Speed. I think almost universally, people think that it has been a successful operation. And and that's because it's plowed you know, huge amounts of money, about $10 billion um, and counting, into fact, mainly vaccine development, a little bit on the drug side too. You know, what they've done with this is they've said, they've taken the risk out of the equation for the company. And so they've basically been able to expand. And and the form that that funding comes in is almost like expenses. They spend money, they get the money from the government. Um, And then there's also been help with the trials. So through the National Institutes of Health, uh, they've helped run the trials, which are, you know, huge trials of 30,000 people across the US, hundreds of sites, very expensive to do. The money didn't stop there. After an early round of trial results in May, Moderna managed to raise a further $1.3 billion in a secondary stock offering. So it is taking more money from the private sector as well. And this is crucial because it needs to create much bigger manufacturing facilities. It's basically partnering with a big European manufacturing group, Lonza, to give them their technology and adapt it so that they can produce at such a mass scale. So that's how it's managed to do this without a big pharma partner. And of course, there's Dolly Parton. So the singer Dolly Parton has been uh, said to be behind the Moderna vaccine. It's not that she has a stake in the company. What that is, is that um, one of the sites that started doing one of the very early trials for Moderna, Vanderbilt University, took investment from uh, charity from Dolly Parton um, to help spur that along. So it was a contribution, but she's not, you know, the largest shareholder in Moderna or anything. So after such a depressing and difficult year for everybody, early November became um, a sort of ray of hope as we started to get the vaccine results from these late stage phase three trials coming out. And it actually, for me, it was kind of funny because uh, we, we talk about in financial journalism, you know, merger Monday, which is you have to wake up early because someone's going to have done a deal over the weekend. And it became a little bit like that every Monday morning, someone came out with more excellent vaccine results. Right. So, Hannah, we have these encouraging vaccine trial results, but what has to happen next in order for this shot to make it to market? What comes next will be a big meeting at the FDA of their top advisors about vaccines on December the 10th. 
So it was shortly after that, it may be that they can move rather quickly and approve it. And what they'll do is they'll give it what's called an emergency use authorization. That's not full approval and that may take some time and it may come with some strings. It may be only approved for healthcare workers and older people, for example, you know, vulnerable groups that need it faster. Then Operation Warp Speed also has a huge emphasis and is working with the army in the US on distribution. And they say they can get a vaccine out within 24 hours. That is fast. Um, how? Well, so because it's already made, because at this point, even before an approval, there are vaccines sitting in storage, ready to go. There's some stuff which will be sent directly by the manufacturers. Um, and then there's some stuff that will be done more by Operation Warp Speed itself and the army. And so the plan is to distribute it to um, to hospitals within certain states and then sort of filter it down in a sort of tree form formation. But what we still don't know is exactly who will come first. Despite there being a lot more supply than there would be in normal situation, there's still going to be fairly tight supply until early next year and beyond. So if we take that question of tight supply, when can we expect wide access to a vaccine? A biostatistician I spoke to recently said with 90% efficacy, which is, you know, or 95% even, um, that means that we'd probably need about roughly 70% of the population to take it. We can't really make a calculation about when a vaccine will save us if we don't know how many people are going to take it. This has come at a bad time when there's a huge amount of anti-vaccination sentiment in all sorts of groups. But what I would say is that I would expect if you want to take it, which, uh, you know, I'm not in a position to give medical advice. I would expect most people in the U.S. to be able to access it by late spring, early summer. While many of us, including investors, are focused on when the first vaccine will be available, the medical industry is taking a longer view. More increasingly, experts think that COVID-19 will become what's called endemic. So, you know, we'll never completely get rid of it. And it may be something that kind of comes back every year, somewhat like the flu. In which case, there's probably going to be a market for vaccines for it that continues beyond this initial pandemic stage. And yeah, I interviewed some people who thought it could be a sort of $10 billion market, which is a lot. And I think that, that we've spoken a lot about these initial vaccines, but actually there are many, many coming down the line, which will appear to be more of a bet on the idea that this is going to be endemic COVID. So you have ones from Sanofi and Merck, which are huge vaccine makers, um, who are maybe saying, well, mine might be more effective or mine might be better in the elderly or some kind of advantage, or even you might see them combine it with a flu shot, um, some kind of advantage that helps them down the road. And in fact, Moderna is now going into flu. And I think they've been quite explicit about the fact that that could be a possible combination in the future. Anna, you mentioned that this extraordinarily fast vaccine discovery was very much a product of business and government working together. What else have you noticed about the interplay between the public and private sector, at least when it comes to health, over the course of the pandemic? The first year or so before the pandemic started, an awful lot of what I covered was antagonism between the companies and the government because both sides of the aisle in the U.S. have uh, tried to reform drug pricing. And so 
then what happened is the industry thought, oh, people will finally sort of appreciate us. Um, this will be good for our reputation. And government obviously started to appreciate some of the innovation that they could bring and how powerful they could be, you know, hopefully restoring the economy and completely getting the political agendas back on track. There are huge problems that the market hasn't really solved here. Clearly, it hasn't solved making a vaccine in record time for a pandemic. That was done with billions of dollars of government money. There's also the question of whether the U.S. government is getting the right return for its investment. Moderna will charge up to $37 a dose for its shot, while other companies have promised to not make a profit on vaccines sold during the pandemic. In the sort of activist community, critics of the pharma industry would say is, well, they should, but there should be far more strings attached. That these kind of programs, you know, Warp Speed didn't ask for a, a fair price. It didn't ask for a return on its investment or intellectual property that had come from the National Institutes of Health. And so I would be really interested to see if they can work together and um, use this sort of once in a lifetime opportunity to come together again and, and repeat it, but also perhaps with slightly fairer returns for the taxpayer. Meanwhile, the return from Moderna investors this year has been quite the early Christmas present. So Moderna went public in December 2018, and it was kind of, you know, bumbled along through 2019 and early 2020. And then it has just been on an absolute tear this year. And it's up like over 560%. Um, and there's been big jumps, of course, especially when they've had positive data for this COVID-19 vaccine trial. Including for its CEO, who sold $54 million worth of shares. Normally, insider selling, as it's known when executives sell down large parts of their stakes in the company, um, is seen as a suspicious sign for investors who look at it and think, oh, maybe they know something I don't. I think in this case, um, investors are being very forgiving because the data has been really incredible. And the company would say that they had sold quite a lot because, of course, it was quite a new company. So they had been locked up in this stock for a long time. And that actually, if you look at the sort of vast scale of their stakes, if you include the options and derivatives, actually, they're not selling down that big a proportion of it. But what we can read from the share price is how investors are thinking about Moderna's unconventional approach of its platform and what all of this could mean for the company's future. So investors are buying into Moderna not just because of the COVID-19 vaccine, but because of what it shows about their other drugs and vaccines. It's a very promising sign, especially for other vaccines, because as we explained, it is actually quite similar. It's a platform technology. You plug in the genetic code of the part of the virus you want the body to recognize and learn about, um, and then you um, put it into the same system of carrying it into the body. And so I think people are very excited about some of their other um, vaccine programs they have in, for example, for other respiratory diseases. And they recently said that they were going to go and make a flu vaccine, which we know is a big annual market. I think the COVID-19 vaccine has really vindicated Moderna's approach in terms of the technology. We've seen such amazing efficacy rates, and it really does give promise to the other things that they're working on. The FT has made key coronavirus coverage free to read during the pandemic. Just go to ft.com forward slash coronavirus free to see the latest articles. That link is in our show notes. We've also linked to Hannah's reporting on Moderna and the race for the vaccine. 
Behind the Money is produced by Oluwakemi Eladesui. Breen Turner is our sound engineer. Liam Nolan is our editor. We had help this week from Persis Love. We'll be back next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.